Hello, ladies and bros. And thank you for investing some time in the 44th edition of Scoring at the Movies. We look back at old sports flicks every second Thursday and we spoil those old sports flicks. We spoil them. I'm the supposedly violence-hating hypocrite who sells it as friends the minute things go bad. Your 100% pure adrenalized bodhisattva, Ryan Ellis. And here's my full sidekick. I knew I couldn't get to them without laughing. <laughs> Whose hobbies include football stardom, dabbling in law school, and the FBI. And he even has a bad knee. Lord Chris Gregorio, you are still wow. the Lord. Thank you for that. I don't even know where to go with that intro. <laughs> You're Keanu and I'm Patrick Swayze. I didn't mix them up at all. That's oh, two separate characters. Good Lord. There. A little peek behind the curtain for anybody that wouldn't be familiar with the recording setup here. But we record at your house and I've always thought it was a nice touch that you long eschewed the idea of having a doorbell on your house in favor of just hanging a gun outside so that somebody, when they pull up, can just scream to the heavens and fire off a few bullets <laughs> to let you know we're there. Kudos. I think ahead uh, to future podcasts. Bodie Ryan. <laughs> Never find out his real last name. Bodhisattva is some kind of mystical thing that he's named himself after, but it's, presumably has a real name. We never hear it. It's Buddhist, right? But what is Bodhi's real name? Oh, Bodhi's his character's real name. I think his name is Bodhi, and they call him the Bodhisattva after Satha or whatever. Yeah, after a Buddhist personage. Okay. I and think. he also mentions. I could be way off on that, so I shouldn't say it with such certainty, but I think that's the case. The first one of the gang that dies in the bank, he calls bro, little, little brother, he calls him little brother. Now, that could just be a reference because I say bra all the time in this movie, but is it actually that that's his real brother? It could be. I mean, they're both just blonde surfer dudes, right? But just like the bra thing, it's just you're my surf bro. They've yeah, been okay. in the same crew traveling around Makes together, sense. little bro. But we do learn that this guy's a hypocrite because he talks about, oh, I hate violence, but then he just starts shooting people towards the end. And a very key line he says to John Utah about getting me where I need to go, not getting us where we need to go. Because at that point, all of them are still alive. The four yeah. surfers are all still alive and supposedly going to get out of there later that afternoon. But Swayze says to Reeves, you got to get me where I need to go. So that is just how selfish he is. I think the movie's aware of it, too. I think that the writers and Catherine Bigelow, oh, yeah. the director, are aware of so much of a hypocrite this guy is, Mr. Zen, who's not so Zen. He plays it like he doesn't care for the money, necessarily. It's all about the group of them living their life through the zen of the surfing scene and showing the people that you can stand up to the man, but when it comes down to it, he'll spit in the face of every belief he's professed to have if it just means that he gets out of there with the money he wants so that he can chase that 50-year storm, man. Mm -hmm. And then die that way. He's not going to paddle to New Zealand, Ryan, like, let's be honest. <laughs> he's right about that. He must be about to die. Well, he is a very fit guy. He could paddle to New Zealand. Nobody knows. Well, the first time we do see him on screen... It's clearly a stunt double, although Patrick Swayze is so athletic, and he did a lot of the real skydiving. The sequence where he says, adios amigo, and then jumps out of the plane, I guess that's at the end. They had great visual effects that were just coming in now, the digital stuff, CGI. James Cameron's a producer on this movie with his, I think, then-wife, Catherine Bigelow? Certainly ex-wife now. The T2 visual effects were outstanding, exact same year, exact same summer as this movie. But they didn't have visual effects at that level where they could replace a face or something. Like they do in Jurassic Park, the sequence where the girl falls through the grate. 
towards the end when they're all being chased and the stunt double looked up right. so they had to put the girl's face over her which i never noticed until they pointed that out that's how well done that was but it was also dark and stuff you can clearly tell what I'm getting to here is that Patrick Swayze was diving out of a plane for real. And as I pointed out to you and Bev, who was watching this with us, just because she wanted to see it again, she hadn't seen it in a long time. When they show Swayze skydiving, and I guess the other guys too, but it mostly focuses on Swayze and Reeves. Yeah. Swayze looks like he's really up there somehow. I guess maybe they just did a lot of jumps and they took the camera out. But Reeves looks like he's doing the thing. And hey, no shade on the guy if he wasn't really doing any skydiving. Where he's on the ground, point the camera up towards the sky, and then have him with the big fan blowing on him go, Wah! Yeah, well, I think that's exactly what happened. They had a crane rig to film a lot of that skydiving stuff for most of the guys, but Swayze was an avid skydiver himself. Did you tell me, or did I read this, that the production didn't want I him to this. skydive yeah. as part of it? But, but he, he did anyway. <laughs> he did anyway, so clearly a lot of stunt doubles in those scenes but you're right i think swayze must have done at least one or two takes. was doing some cruise level stunts in this movie i'll do my yeah. own why not if it's something you do anyway i'm sure he's very comfortable makes doing it more it. convincing too and if i learned anything from this movie and from watching johnny utah skydive it's that you don't need any training or any experience whatsoever to be just an absolute professional stunt skydiver mm. it's incredible what you can do the first time you jump out of a plane without any training whatsoever or safety well like, Bodie tells him to pull the shoot at a certain point and he won't do it. No, you first, brah. So then Bodhi pulls it for him. But then he still has to learn. Anyone would have to learn how to maneuver it to land properly. And somehow, as you just said, Johnny Utah, who knows how to do everything else. He's great at law. He's great at the FBI. He's great at football. Oh, uh, yeah. There was a period of time where action heroes were always the big Superman type. Of course, that's how we get the Arnold Schwarzeneggers. And the biggest stuff. movie of this year, 2001, starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, T2. Yeah. So he was still you, in his prime. 1991. What did I say, 2001? 2001. Yeah, 91, you're right. Yeah. Johnny Utah, even though this is kind of an action movie, but it's not oh, yeah, it's not, not in the same sense as the Stallone, Schwarzenegger ones would okay. be. But Utah is the quintessential Superman that we don't really see anymore. Now that we have all flawed heroes for the most part, but you're right. He's the professional level athlete that never actually makes the pros because of injury. He's I missed the, my window, bruh. He's the perfect sharpshooter. We get a scene of him scoring 100 on his shooting test for no reason, except later on we want to reason for his partner to believe that he missed the perps intentionally because we know he's such a sharpshooter he's intelligent because well he should be intelligent because apparently he studied law <laughs> the makes character's a, intelligent makes a lot of stupid decisions in the movie the character sometimes is intelligent yeah is pretty great at everything he does and yet still fails miserably repeatedly it's pretty incredible when you although i will say in my nutshell right now because you just set me up for it right there in a nutshell much like charlie keanu don't surf Apocalypse Now, Charlie Don't Surf. You lost me on that one. Oh, I haven't seen Apocalypse Now in like it's, 15 years. I so. thought it was a pretty famous line. Charlie Don't Surf. I well, thought you were going to go with a Charlie the Chocolate Factory reference for a second there, Ryan, which would have been... Uh... Charlie Don't Scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did. Yeah. Although I do think at the end, this is a curious little thing, me being pedantic, we like to do that around here. What? When <laughs> Bodie asks him, you still surfing? Every day. Every day. You find time to surf every day and you're chasing after this guy and you have a job anyway. Yeah. You find water with those kinds of waves everywhere you go. He's spent the last six months chasing Bodhi around the world, various points in Mexico, to Fiji, to wherever, South America, over to Australia. I imagine all he carried with him was his gun, his badge, and his board, right? Because that's the kind of guy that Johnny Utah is. <laughs> the board won't fit in the car. All right, we've been going for a while now. I've had a few sips of my beverage. You've had none of yours. What are you drinking over oh, there? Oh, yeah. Well, this is a failure on my part. I was going to go with an ebb and flow sour beer that I thought I had in the fridge, but apparently not. So instead, I've got a banana bread beer for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> oh, there's no... I wonder when I saw it up there if this is what the connection was. 
Nope, it's because I had it, so I'm going to drink it. Okay. Very inspired choice. Well, in a way, part. it makes sense, because that doesn't make sense for this podcast in particular. You're not actually pairing it with the podcast. And we are jamming this into being a sports podcast in a way. Although, as you said two, two weeks sports. ago, there are three sports, actually, because we three. see football briefly, and he's depicted oh, as a diving, sports hero. Yeah. The skydiving, and, of course, the surfing, which is the primary yeah. sport we see. And the one that, as I said earlier, Swayze, the first time we're supposed to see him, is clearly a stunt double doing that. And then Keanu is not supposed to be all that great in the first place, so maybe he does most of his own surfing. I did read that Swayze does a lot of the surfing, too. And you do see him later on doing it, but when we see supposedly him in the very beginning with that incredible wave, the guy looks like Swayze, but not that much like Swayze. Yeah, that's not Swayze. But yeah, he did a lot of the surfing, and apparently he buggered up his knee. He famously had a bad knee from his past dancing career, and of course he screwed it up even more doing dirty dancing and screwed it up doing this movie. Apparently he had to have it drained every night or something because really? it got so swollen. From accidents and learning how to surf. Give the guy a lot of credit. He was a dedicated dude when it came to acting. Swayze, that is. Even if his character's a massive hypocrite and a mm. bit of a doofus, ultimately. Swayze's one of those guys like Costner. who's just, I, mean, I guess you could say Cruz, too. Just seems like a great athlete anyway. Costner's yeah. a good example with baseball and with golf. He's really doing that stuff, especially the baseball with Costner. And it seems like Swayze, we know he can dance, we know he can skydive, and I guess we know he can surf at least well enough. And we know he can strip from that salt and pepper skit with Chris Farley back in the day. Like, that man's got moves, Ryan. He can really move those hips. Swayze was in his prime at this point, too, because he was coming off of doing, you said it already, and we covered it last year, Bev and I did, Dirty Dancing. And then, it may be trash, but Roadhouse is a fun movie. I've got it over there on the shelf. On Blu-ray, actually. It was 10 bucks. that's why. So that was 89. Then Ghost, which was a monster hit in 1990. Yeah. It wasn't number one. No, I think Home Alone was, but it was way up there. It may have been second. And, of course, this in 1991. So that was a hell of a run for him. It wasn't quite that they, I said him already, Costner level from 87 to 93. Costner had that incredible run of good movies, big hits, or both. And Swayze was not that far behind him. But then again, his run ended, and he didn't make anything that people really gave a shit about until, and it's yeah. a small role, but Donnie Darko. And, unfortunately, the guy died. It's been 10 years now. He died in 2009. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Maybe Swayze looked at some like City of Joy and thought, this will be my movie that's about nice things, and I don't know what the movie's yeah. even about. I've never seen it. But his resume, just from that point on, just wasn't as good. It's unfortunate, but this is the guy in his prime, just like Keanu physically. Well, he still looks great now. Keanu doesn't age. He's like Paul Rudd in that way. Yeah. But these two guys were really coming to their own. Well, Swayze already had, I guess. But Keanu was known for the arty type films. He was in Dangerous Liaisons, if you don't remember that. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That, of course. The, yeah. These art so, house films. Ted Theodore Logan, or an art house film, like River's Edge, another one he did. And then he does a movie like this, and of course Speed a couple years later. And in a way, he seems out of his element. Bev and I covered Speed last year? Yeah, last year. Did a lot of Keanu last year. He seems out of his element in a way, in the action movies, but he's also great in them. But we know Keanu's not dumb, and he's such a nice guy, which I don't think we all knew that then, it's so obvious now. So it's hard to root against somebody who's such a nice person, but it's weird because he isn't bad in Point Break and Speed, but at the same point, he isn't the most logical choice for them. He wasn't especially coming into this film. We're going to spend a lot of time picking the nits of this movie because it is made for pedants to just pick apart. It is so stupid and so silly in almost every scene, but put together as a whole is also a lot of fun to watch. 15 out of 10. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> On like, the entertainingly cheesy scale, 15 out of 10. Right. So when you look at it as individual scenes, you're like, what the hell was the director thinking? But put together as a whole, it's still stupid, but it's a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I think about Keanu's performance in this. Each individual moment in the movie that you look at, like, I am an FBI agent, <laughs> or why can't I ever say what I mean? Oh, man. Or say what I feel, or whatever the line is. Taken alone is almost cringeworthy to watch. Of course, that's why Keanu, especially in his early career, was mocked for his monotone, lack of emotion, and all that kind of fun stuff. But within the context of this movie, 
I think it works because his performance is just a little bit jarring and a little bit silly and a little bit out of sorts, but the movie is as a whole also. So it kind of fits into the overall experience. Maybe the movie itself was constructed better. If a critic were to watch it, they would actually call it a well-made movie. Air quotes, well-made Do you think this movie's well-made? From a technical level, it sure is. Yeah, it's fine. But if you looked at the screenplay and the acting and the directorial choices... There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make logical sense. I'm not talking about the action choreography or the cinematography. Like, a lot of that stuff, it's well shot, certainly. There's a lot of beautiful scenes in the movie. But it is one of those movies that makes no sense. And if you rejigged the movie so that it was a logical movie, maybe something more akin to, like, Heat, where it's a little bit grittier, a little bit more serious, makes more logical sense. Heat also has its silly flaws. Mm-hmm. but The bank robbery scenes are very comparable. The Heat yeah. one that's so famous is better because the shootout yeah, of follows that. And Keanu is supposed to be in that, by the way, in the Val Kilmer role. Oh, really? It's almost like this is diet heat when it comes to the bank yeah, robbery scenes because they're very close to being as good. Or maybe the Dark Knight, the opening sequence when yeah. the Joker and his guys rob a bank. That's also really well done. So those are some of the better bank robbery scenes of all time. Wouldn't have thought Point Break would rank up there, but I think in some ways it does. Again, because yeah. it's partly the way it's shot. And then we do find out, as we've already said, that Bodie's a hypocritical asshole because he gets his buddies killed just because he's getting greedy. Why we go in the vault? We never go in the vault. And then the whole thing, well, I hate violence. And yes, the guy shot him, but he's got a bulletproof vest on. He's fine. He just decides to blow the cop away with yeah. his giant handgun, his hand cannon, as they'd say in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, he might be overcompensating. And ripping off his mask, which then again is logical because I've always remembered that scene. You could see his big mane of hair come out of his mask. Maybe that's why he does it. Maybe that's why Catherine Bigelow wanted him to do it. But I think it's also, as a Halloween aficionado, those masks are hard to see out of when you have them on properly. And it's been jarred a little bit by being shot and falling off the counter. So maybe that's why he rips it off. That made sense to me. That one moment made sense. Except he's never going back to L.A. because he's now revealed himself to all the cameras. Vanity Fair has a series of YouTube videos where they have experts commenting on scene types in movies. So you might have like a Navy SEAL commenting on battle scenes. Okay. And the one I watched in particular was an ex-jewelry thief. Apparently he robbed something like $18 million worth of merchandise, spent 12 years in jail. And they had him talking about famous robbery scenes. So the Italian job, Ocean's Eleven, and the bank robbery scene in Heat. Didn't talk about Point Break, but some of the things he talked about in Heat had me thinking about the Point Break scenes because it is very comparable. Things like the robbers controlling the crowd both through fear reassuring them and this is something they do in Point Break okay we're not taking your money we're taking the mm-hmm. bank's money and your money's insured so you're not going to lose anything De Niro anything. has a line just like that in Heat exactly they're almost identical and they know the law enforcement in the area right they know the response times they've cased out the joint they know how long it's going to take in this movie they have the 90 second clock in and out and gone in 90 seconds or less and of course that's what they violate at the end they take too much time and that causes half the problem excuse me you're pulling too much time you're pulling too much time the expert in that scenario really liked what they did in Heat, and Point Break did the same things that he liked in a movie that is so questionably written in many respects. I think they nailed the bank robbery scenes. Mm. You get a sense of how the ex-presidents would control the crowd. Maybe not moon them on the way out, necessarily. Yeah. but <laughs> Because Cameron does have that moment where he realizes, Hey, my friend likes to moon. That bank robber mooned. <laughs> My friends must be the ex-presidents. Whoa. That is one of the funniest epiphany moments you'll Mm -hmm. see in a movie. Very early on is when Gary Busey uses the guy's ass tan lines to sort of draw that connection that these guys are surfers. Although even that doesn't make a ton of sense to me because we always see them surfing in full wetsuits or dry suits. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. which one it is. So the guy wouldn't be surfing in a bathing suit where you would get the tan line around your ass. 
you would presumably have tan lines like around your calf and around your forearms. Yeah, right? although you could argue that they're not going to surf every minute of the day. So for most of the day, they're on the beach. But then it's also L.A. where people have tan lines probably anyway. That's also true. So that connection might be a little questionable. Okay, that's how he draws the connection to surfers being bank robbers. Okay, fine. Also the arsenic thing, and that's one of the real things that puts over the top for him. Well, that's where they start to investigate specific surfing sites to Mm -hmm. make that chemical connection. And you don't really swim in L.A. all that much. No, because the water's cold. Exactly. We talked about that during the screen. The three of us said that. The Caribbean is where people go, and Bev and I just got back from there not long ago, swimming in the ocean every day. But exact same time of year, the other side, I don't think we would be. Maybe if that same longitude we were in Dominican yeah. Republic. Now longitude, just, latitude, one of those two. Anyway, latitude. Latitude. Yeah. Now, just make sure next time you rob somebody, having just come back from the Dominican. Did I moon them? Do not moon them. Dead giveaway that somebody in Ontario just came back from yeah. the Caribbean. Keep your pants up for once is what I'm saying to you. It's I good. know it's hard. It's good advice anyway, but I do struggle. <laughs> What would you we, give it? Because for me, I just said 15 out of 10 jokingly on the cheesy scale. But just as an actual grade, I would say 8. Because I've seen this movie 6 times probably in my life. And I've always enjoyed it. I probably enjoy it more now. And it was fun to watch it with two other people. Yeah. I didn't take as thorough a notes maybe because of that. I think it's really well done. Technically especially. And maybe you cast against type with Keanu to make it work almost better. They thought about casting Matthew Broderick or Johnny Depp. Now right. Depp would have had the look for it for sure. Not that Keanu didn't have a look. He did have the look. The long hair and everything. And certainly good body. Broderick would have been weirder casting, I think, in many ways. Because he doesn't have the physical Yeah, I don't know if Broderick would have worked necessarily. He and Swayze seem like a really odd combination, too. Because Swayze and Reeves certainly have a lot of chemistry. Well, let's get into this part now, too. Because I'm sure this has been said by thousands of people before we ever cover this movie. But just like next week's movie, or two weeks from now, this is not a homosexual film. But good God, do these guys want each other. And I think Laurie Petty's in there as Tyler Endicott. What a name. Just to have Hmm. proof that Johnny Utah is hetero. Bodie also has a girl one night when they're all at his place having a party. Because these two guys don't do anything that's overtly homosexual, but they clearly are in love with each other. Well, if you made this movie, and I thought they were going to remake this, or did they? They did remake it in 2015. They did? Mm-hmm. It was a dud. This wasn't a dud. So it was 29th in 1991. T2 was number one. Bev and I covered that. Silence of the Lambs number four. We covered that long ago. And you and I covered Lionheart last year. It was 56th. So this was a pretty solid success. In North America, it did just okay, but worldwide, even back then, worldwide, now you see where a movie can be a big hit worldwide, because they're releasing so many more markets than they did then, but this was a hit worldwide, so yeah, it did succeed in that way. And it was released, by the way, in the summer, July 12, 1991, and Bogus Journey, you mentioned already, Bill and Ted's, the sequel, because they did the first one in 89, the sequel Mm -hmm. to it, Bogus Journey, came out one week after this, (laughs) but Point Break was the bigger hit of the two. Yeah, don't say. (laughs) This was put out by Fox, and it was called Heart Blue. In Japan, I like to give you those names where... That's not as funny as some of the ones I've revealed before, but Heart Blue, kind of bland, Heart isn't blue. it? That's very bland. That's mm-hmm. like Blue Crush, only worse somehow. That's one of the best surf movies. I was looking on my computer before we sat down to record surfing movies, just in general, and very few came up that I recognized or would care about. There's a documentary Surfer that's dude? pretty good. I guess that's one of them, but I didn't notice that the one The McConaughey movie? <laughs> but Blue Crush might be the best surfing movie, although a lot probably. of older people would probably say Big Wednesday, which is made in the 70s. Oh, I'm not familiar. John Milius, who's a big surfer guy. Apocalypse Now co-writer. Yeah. Milius was a weird dude. That's on the list. Yes, he was. Blue Crush. And then probably this is somewhere in that list, too. Probably. So, I agree with you. If you're going to rate this, I think eight is fair. Maybe somewhere between seven, eight, seven and a half, eight, whatever. You mentioned Lionheart. And I think I had similar feelings. I don't remember what I scored Lionheart. Which we also jammed into being a sports movie, but it sort of is. It sort of is. It's MMA-esque, adjacent. I feel similarly about Lionheart in that it's a super goofy movie. Individual parts of that movie, you look at kind of askance, like, what the hell was the director thinking? But taken as a whole, it's kind of goofy fun, and so is this. 
But this one is the next tier up as far as goofy fun movies go from Lionheart. And I think if you were to remake this again, yet again, <laughs> in 2020, because I think 2015 was maybe just slightly too early for this kind of societal shift to happen. Given Bodhi's professed spirituality in this movie, because mm -hmm. I think that's what he's really got going on, at least what he tells everyone he's got going on, right? It has to do with being one with the ocean and feeling the flow and all that kind of fun stuff. I think you make him that pansexual character that would sleep with anyone and anything because he's a free spirit. It's like Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. That's the Bodhi character type that probably should have been him in the 91 version of it, but 91 would have been way too early for that to be an acceptable character mm -hmm. type in a big-budget movie at that time. It still is now, unfortunately. I think that's changing to a point where in the not-too-distant future you're going to see that. I hope so. Well, I'm looking at the 2015 version right here on IMDb. Edgar Ramirez is Bodhi, and Luke Bracey, a name I don't know at all, was Johnny Utah. Ray Winstone plays the Gary Busey role Pappas. I remember when I saw this movie, it didn't draw me in at all. The stunts and everything, and the visual effects were fine. Big budget film. Edgar Ramirez is a talented actor. He's been in a few things people have liked, but they don't have the same sort of recognition factor, for one thing. Reeves even, and certainly Swayze did going to this film. But also, you've got the whole thing of seems like a perfunctory kind of film. If you're going to remake Point Break, you might as well make it silly because that's what the original was. And I think part of what made the original Point Break so much fun, Swayze and Reeves are great, obviously, but it's the surrounding characters that make this movie as much fun as it is. Gary Busey. Yes, exactly. Steals the movie. <laughs> Gary Busey and his silly lines and his weird antics. Are, well, this he's great. a weird-looking guy. The big eyes, the yeah. huge teeth. The whole thing, I was doing it to you repeatedly after it happened. Give me two. Yeah, give me Utah, your, give me two. Two meatball sandwiches. He, says two, he wants two sandwiches you. about five times. I think the first time we're introduced to him is that bizarre moment after Johnny Utah is introduced to John C. McGinley's character mm -hmm. as his boss. Where he's told he's young, dumb, and full of cum. If anything dates this movie, it's the fact that your manager can greet you by telling you you're young, dumb, and full of cum. A guy who went to law school, obviously he's not dumb. No. Well, maybe the character is dumb, but he's not supposed to be dumb. On the ranking of uncomfortable lines that you never want to hear your boss tell you, that has got to be super high up there, I would mm -hmm. think. So John Z. McKinley meets Johnny Utah and tells him that his crew solves bank robberies by gathering evidence, mm -hmm. being super fit. Cardiovascular fitness is huge. Ain't nobody that smokes around here or drinks. And then Johnny Utah grabs a donut, and then we meet the fat Gary Busey mm. diving into a pool blindfolded to pick up bricks. That's fun, though. I love that. Yeah! As he jumps but in. This is a quintessential moment of what kind of silly moment can we have to introduce the Gary Busey character to Keanu Reeves? And, of course, the blindfold is an excuse for him to spout off about his new dumbass hotshot partner. thousands of times in movies. Oh, your partner's right in front of you kind of thing. But there's no rational explanation for why any FBI agent would ever be diving in blindfolded for bricks. Well, he questions it. Maybe that's why they get away with it. Yes, and that's the whole, this makes no sense. Yes, but if we have a character in a movie point out that it makes no mm. sense, then it's okay. It's because, meta. Because we've, yeah, it's meta. We've pointed it out. It's not like they ever explain it. The Gary Busey guy's like, why the hell? I've been an agent for 22 years. What does this have to do with anything? Nobody answers the question. They sure. all just shrug, get in there. And Pappas also, I don't think, ever goes in the water in the whole movie, apart from that pool scene. No, Ironically, it's a movie about water constantly. The surf scenes, of course, but even that first skydive, they end up in the water. And a lot of but rain. That's, well, yeah, the movie opens in rain when we see Keanu on the course with the thumbs up meme, which you texted me earlier that you're coming <laughs> over. At the very end, the movie ends in rain when they're in Australia at Bell's Beach, which yeah. I looked is, I guess, the south part of Australia, maybe the, what would it be? 
east part, but south anyway, is where Bell's Beach is. I guess that's the idea, that all the water, big storm thing, builds up from the south and from attacks the, s- the south of Australia. Oh. And then, I'm actually thinking about this right now, I got to think about it a few minutes ago, kind of think about when you were talking about the bank robbery stuff, when we said about why does he take his mask off so we can see better, that does make some sense. But, is it possible? Bodie's got a death wish. Now, he doesn't want his buddies to be outed because they're not necessarily going to go to Bell's Beach. I guess they say they will before they know they're going to die. I guess they could have gone too. But he must be thinking, I'm going by myself because he's like that. If you take the mask off and you're outed, your face is now shown. Like I said, you can never show your face in L.A. again, which he has a residence, although I guess they packed the stuff from him. Anyway, but maybe the idea is I'm going to Australia in whatever it was, six months or so. I know I'm going to die because it's such an incredible storm. So I might as well get as much out of this as I can. And if I'm revealed, who cares? Except if his buddies don't die in the robbery and subsequently through the day, because all three of them are dead before that day is over. One in the bank, one at the airport strip, and then the James LeGros character doesn't make it out of the skydive. He lives long enough to get out of the plane, but then doesn't survive the drop, I guess. Is it possible that Bodhi is, not deliberately, but accepting, doesn't matter, I'm never coming back to America anyway because I'm going to die in Australia in whatever it was, six months. I don't know. I think part of the Bodhi character's headspace is that any moment is a possible end, right? I freaking hate YOLO as an expression. I think it's incredibly... It applies to these guys. It does. And I think that's kind of his whole mentality throughout the whole movie. And I also think you're giving him too much credit by Mm -hmm. thinking about it that much. I legitimately think it was just a moment of rage, shock, and I got to blow this guy away right here, right now. And I got to see him clearly to do it. So rip the mask off blow him away yeah, and that's it. It might be as simple as that. I also like the moment before that where the undercover cop tells the security guard, oh, cop, I got a gun here. And the touch I like so much is the security guard doesn't want him to do it. He yeah. doesn't want the guy to play a hero because he knows he's probably going to die, meaning the security guard knows he's probably going to die and doesn't want to over money that's protected by the government, as Swayze's yeah. character had said. The cop in that scene is almost a villain because the security guard is essentially there as a visual deterrent. So people will see him and go, that's not worth my time. But you're told, don't fight anybody. Just give them the money because it's insured up to $60,000. So if you're taking money out of a drawer at a bank, that money, it'll be replaced by the insurance company. So That why? much is truly not worth it. You're right. That is a great moment because he is right in saying, don't do anything. And the cop- But he's scared is what I like about it, though. It's oh, not yeah. just the logic of what you're saying. Even if there was a good reason for it, even if it was a matter of, they're taking plutonium, they're going to make a nuclear bomb or something like that. No. He's just legit scared. And he's well, a grown yeah. man. I love the way that's portrayed. I'd be shitting myself in terror. If yeah, but we don't see that in movies very often. No, because everyone's a superhero in right. movies most of the time. So yeah, the fact that this cop wants to take these guys down is probably either an ego thing, or if I stop this robbery in progress and arrest these guys somehow, I'll be a hero. I'll get a promotion. Yeah. I'll be the superhero cop. So he is the villain that makes everything go off the rails for everybody, but also puts innocent people's lives at risk, including that security guard. I can't even remember. Does he get shot, the security guard? They both end up dead, as does Nathaniel or Gromit. I can never really get their names straight, the other ones. Well, we've got the four ex-presidents, so it's LBJ, Nixon, Carter, and Reagan. They skip over Ford, maybe because he wasn't elected. Maybe that's the logic there. He was just given the job of vice president when that guy resigned, Spiro Agnew resigned when Nixon was in office, separate from Watergate. And then because Nixon resigned, then Ford took over. It was never elected. Maybe that's why they don't have him once be one of the ex-presidents. <laughs> and, of course, they don't use Bush because he was the first Bush because he was still in office at yeah. that moment. He wasn't ex yet. But those are the four most recent elected presidents. And I was reading they all die in the order of how they were actually given the job. So LBJ oh, really? is first. That's what I read. I don't know if that's entirely true. Well, Reagan obviously is last because that is Swayze's character. And I love the visual of Ronald Reagan holding a flamethrower. And burning a car, because you've got this whole notion, I think it's probably deliberate on the part of Catherine Bigelow and the other filmmakers. I don't know if we knew then, 
maybe people in LA did, liberal Hollywood people, pointing out that this guy just flamed through America, if you will, over the past, well, before this, eight years ago. So it's a great visual. Had it been LBJ, Nixon would have made some sense. Carter wouldn't have made sense. But Reagan doing that, St. Reagan, who I've criticized in this podcast space, more with Bev, many times. Yeah. And that must have been deliberate. That's a great visual. In recent years, we've come to realize that a lot of what he did was super destructive. He hurt a lot of people. Well, not just in his time, though, down the line. Yeah. He's one of the presidents that's responsible for reducing the controls over Wall Street and, yeah. and things like that. Huge part of it. It's not just him, but yes. Nixon, I think, was the one that decoupled the... American dollar from the gold standard, right? Which okay. led to the ability to get this enormous national debt now because you don't have to have the physical gold to back up your currency anymore. Which is what leads into things like Enron, fake money being pushed around. It has all kinds of effects, but the notion of trickle-down economics that came from Reagan's era, which has just been cited by Republicans over and over, even though it's been proven time and time again that it accomplishes nothing except to allow giant companies to accrue massive right. stores of wealth. It was a massively destructive period of time in the late 70s through the 80s, I think, as far as what would later come in North America. And it's not even just America, right? We as Canadians are so influenced by what happens south of the border that it affects all of the mm -hmm. continent. Well, the two sets of bad guys who are surfers, because it is a red herring when Anthony Kiedis and those guys, War Child is a different actor that plays him, but Anthony <laughs> Kiedis' tone, it says here. Greatest character name War ever. War Child, yeah. That group of guys are selling drugs, heroin, all that kind of thing. So that's obviously terrible, but they're selling drugs to, in their mind to get by. This is all we can do to get by. Oh, this group of surfer dudes that they first yes. accuse incorrectly. Johnny of, thinks of, that they're the ones right. who are robbing the banks, but he's wrong. But they are brought down. They do deserve justice. Even though Tom Sizemore is an undercover guy is pissed off about them ruining the case. And yeah, he wanted to find out who their contact was, but they yeah. need to be brought down. So They have a freaking and they have an arsenal, arsenal yeah. Yeah, in their bedroom. Well, hang on. The point, though, then also is that the surfers, the ex-presidents, the guys that we do care about, need to be brought down to. They've robbed a lot of banks. That's not cool. But they would say, this is how we get by. we got to get money somehow. Now, the drug dealers and the ex-presidents are lying. They're full of shit. And again, I think the movie's aware of this. But you could argue that what Reagan did and Nixon before him, Carter tried to fix some of it, I guess, as a liberal guy. But those kinds of people made it so the drug dealers and the bank robbers felt like they had to be drug dealers and bank robbers. They're full of shit, but they're not entirely full of shit. You lost me Is this so movie much. getting deeper than I thought it was? So <laughs> much deeper. I don't have enough banana beer in me to really make these kinds of logical connections. But you know what I'm saying, though? No, not even a little bit. Okay, hopefully the audience does. <laughs> <laughs> I fully... It's probably just an excuse for an action scene to have it be, and also a red herring. We see this kind of thing in movies all the time. The movie doesn't need to be a full two hours, but maybe they no. want to pad the runtime too. To have the war child group, and it's also an action scene. The movie didn't have a ton of action apart from the surfing for a long time. Maybe they thought they had to have that. So you've got Keanu shooting on the gun range in the beginning, which isn't violence, but he's shooting a gun. Yeah. A while goes by before you see any kind of action again like that, and then you get it when they have the big drug bust. And then you get the gunfight at the airport. Of course, the bank robbery scene. Well, the big foot chase. We'll talk about that in a second. So maybe that's one of the reasons why that scene's in there. But I wonder yeah. if maybe the writers, and the writers were, who were they again here? I know that Cameron had a precinct credit. No, he didn't write the movie. It was Peter Illiff who wrote the movie and the story by him and Rick King. And then King and Cameron produced it for Catherine Bigelow. So I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of subtextual thing going on there where they're saying people are lying, but they also feel like, I can't get a real job. Reagan took all the jobs and screwed us over and gave all the money to Wall Street. So we'll deal drugs and we'll rob banks to get by. I'm there with you, Reagan using the literal torch on the car and mm -hmm. stuff. I'll get with you there because I can see, like you said, California liberals, even in the 90s, wanting to put together some sort of messaging in the script, especially post 
1970s oil crisis when there was a mm-hmm. lot of locking down of... Wouldn't we want to waste that gas <laughs> using it as a flamethrower? Oh, exactly. Okay, so there's a little irony Plus there the too. current president at that time was Reagan's vice president for eight years. Yeah, but Reagan was responsible for loosening a lot of the regulations that yep. were put in place to try to knuckle down on gas usage and increase fuel efficiency and all that kind of stuff. Or it could have just been something if somebody's like, it would be real cool if Ronald Reagan worse. were wielding yeah. a flamethrower. As far as the war child group and the whole incorrect fingering of them as the ex-presidents, I just took it as it would make too little sense, even for a movie like this, for Johnny Utah to be such an incredible detective. To figure it out that fast? That he figures that <laughs> the first thing that Johnny does with the Gary Busey character, was it Pappas, right? Pappas. Pappas. Angelo Pappas. The first thing they do after they get partnered up is investigate a robbery by the ex-presidents. This is like three minutes after John C. McKinley has told Johnny that we solve cases by reviewing the evidence and building a case and all that kind of stuff. All Johnny wants to do is look at the security tapes and go to the getaway car and try to lift some sweat out of the seat because the car has no... Which makes perfect sense. It's no air conditioning, yeah. And Pappas is there going, well, look at you, hot shot, trying <laughs> to gather all your evidence. Doing the job properly. Doing the job properly. Well, la-dee-da, Mr. Hotshot. Dude, I mean... Well, even more so the two competing agents that do that, and of course McGinley as their boss, basically fighting against him. It's almost like uh, he's the one, Johnny's the one who's got some harebrained scheme rather than the most logical way that you investigate this <laughs> exactly. stuff. Exactly. But anyway, that aside, when they raid the house, he's too much of a super agent if he just immediately goes from point A to point B to point C and gets the right guys. There's a little bit of a detour there. That could be why it's in there, then. It's also an excuse for like a big-ass action sequence. Lawnmower is a violent weapon. The guy next door is mowing the lawn, and this is causing some communications trouble between Johnny and the rest of the team because they yeah. can't hear him through That's the... That's clever. That is clever. But what in the holy hell was this neighbor doing where he's got the lawnmower upside down? You flip the lawnmower if something is stuck, and yeah. you've got to check the blade. Why would you have it upside down and on and fully running and just sitting in your lawn? I think something happened, so it got flipped over, didn't it? It was just there. The fight spills out into the lawn, and then there's... Must be an old lawnmower, too, because... Oh, it was super old. Especially not that type, but lawnmowers that most people have, where the blades are not just out to be touched easily by anyone. If you let go of a bar or something like that, it just yeah, shuts it off shuts immediately. Off. Now, that is a more modern invention. You could say this lawnmower is 10 years old, putting it back in the 80s. I don't know. This one looked like it was like 1940s era. I just want to know what the guy was doing with it. <laughs> okay, actually, there's three things I wanted to talk the about. The hot blonde taking a shower who kicks the shit out of Johnny? Yes, the excuse to have a naked woman in this movie was, okay, let's have somebody showering when this is all going down. And she is the toughest badass mm-hmm. in the movie because she doesn't only kick the shit out of Johnny, she kicks the shit out of next to everybody. Eventually, she gets, I think, killed. They shoot her or something. She definitely gets subdued, but it took some doing. Yeah, she's like beating the ever-loving hell out of him. And then you've got the other woman in the house in her underwear or bikini or something. She's answering the door when Gary Busey's character is trying to get access to the house. He finally decides, okay, enough is enough. I'm an FBI agent. Let me in. And as he does that, one of the war child group whips out a big-ass machine gunny type thing. I don't even know what type of gun this is. And just starts laying into her. And Gary Busey uses her as like a human shield as he runs for cover. And I'm thinking, holy shit, that is raw. She just yeah. got annihilated. But then two scenes later, she's back, unscathed. Oh, really? Yeah, she I comes back afterwards, okay. and not a hair is scratched in her head. So I don't know if that's like a shooting a scene out of sequence moment or not. Uh. But either that guy is the worst shot in history, or that just made no sense. Because I would have thought that one of Gary Busey or that woman were just annihilated. The gauge of the gun that this guy was using... Would have gone right through her, even if she was oh, a yeah. human shield. It looked like an anti-tank machine gun or yeah. something that he was pulling out there. It was incredible. Angel does die by bullets later, but you need him towards the end of the story when he gets yeah. killed at the airport. But uh, he should have died there, you're right. It's true. You get Tom Sizemore showing up, 
ripping them a new one about how he's been undercover for the DA for three months. You hotshot kids have just busted in. It's almost like the same scene over again where he's ripping Johnny Utah apart as yeah, a new right. young hotshot. And then we never hear about it again. There's no repercussions to that. Tom Sizemore never reappears. We never hear about well, the Well, he wouldn't need to reappear. He's a DEA guy versus FBI. One thing I did like, though, is a touch. They would have known this then. But Tom Sizemore, playing a DEA guy... It's kind of ironic, eh? ...became a serious drug yeah. addict. And I was reading about Saving Private Ryan, which wasn't that many more years after this movie... Spielberg said to him that if you relapse, I guess he was doing heroin by that point in the mid to late 90s. If you relapse, we're going to recast your role and we'll start all the way over because that would be the thing. A lot of people yeah. would say, well, you can't keep on doing the movie or restart the movie, Steve, if I fuck up. But in this case, he's saying, we will. Yeah, and obviously not? he lasted and he was a big part of Saving Private Ryan. And Sizemore's been around for a long time and it's been a repeated screw up. He was in heat too. You know, like the term headcanon, the kind of stuff that you just imagine to be true. Okay. That scene where Sizemore busts in and starts reaming Johnny out, and he's got the two bricks. I can't remember if it was heroin or coke that he's... I think it's supposed to be heroin. He just sort of like slams it against the wall to show them the couple of keys of heroin that they got. But great, we were going to catch the dealer, but you guys just fucked us over. Every take they did of that, the bricks of heroin got smaller and smaller and smaller. And Catherine Bingham was like, for God's sakes, Tom... Stop using the props. How many times are we going to tell you? It's baking soda. It's worth a try. It's worth a try, man. You don't know. By the end of it, it's just two empty baggies. He's ramming against the wall. This movie's not that big a budget, man. you got to help us out. Gary Busey is a big part of Lethal Weapon. He's so great as a villain in that movie, four years before this one, where he, and he's the henchman, but the big boss is bringing in heroin from, I guess, in Vietnam or the Far East, at least. And now he indirectly is busting that. He wasn't supposed to. That's not why they thought they were there. But anyway. Unintentional links in these ways. We didn't mention when we were talking about that lawnmower scene, since you mentioned Gary Busey's character, the single greatest line in the movie. Mm-hmm. He rushes in to save Keanu from a death by face to the lawnmower by screaming, speaking to the microphone, squid lips, or something <laughs> to that effect. That had to have been improv, right? Like, I think so. Gary Busey must have improv the line with the meatball subs, give me two. Where he says to Johnny, I'm so hungry, I could eat the ass of a dead rhinoceros. <laughs> the reason why I think that was improv, because that could have been written. I say that all the time. I don't know why you think that's improv. But long ago, I listened to the commentary on Apollo 13, and Ron Howard said, there's a line Bill Paxton has where he says, I'm so hungry, I could eat the ass of a dead rhinoceros. Exact same line. And he says in the commentary, Howard does, that Gary Busey stopped by. I don't know why, but people visit sets all the time in Hollywood. And he said they should say that line. <laughs> so if he's telling them to say that line four years later, then it was probably his improv in this movie. <laughs> Give me two. <laughs> Give me two. <laughs> two rhinoceros asses. I didn't, by the way, say what the Rotten Tomatoes people thought of this movie. So 69% of critics, which makes it a fresh tomato, but not by that much. Uh, an average, an average of six out of ten. Six out of ten. 69. <laughs> but 79% of audiences. I might have thought they'd be more in the high 80s or even 90s, because that happens sometimes with a popular movie that is kind of cheesy and silly, that the audiences love it, no matter what the critics think. But they liked it, at least. That's also, a- these guys were both nominated, the two stars, for Most Desirable Male at the MTV Awards. And Keanu won. And that leads me into the thing we always talk about. Let's get into it right now. Yeah. The can you score factor. With these two guys, even if you're hetero, you better be scoring this movie. Oh, yeah. Now, you were in the room with me and so was Bev. But I was thinking about it. <laughs> you were very quiet and tense in the They're the so chair. beautiful. <laughs> Let's not leave out Lori Petty. She's... She was cute, but she's basically a dog compared to these two guys. Reeves and wow. Swayze in their prime. Poor Lori Petty. In fairness... We see a ton of shirtless Swayze and a ton of shirtless Keanu in this movie. And like you pointed out, more than once, Keanu has some rock-hard nips going on throughout. If nobody else is excited by this movie, we have indications that Keanu just might be. They went through a lot of ice to make sure those nipples were... (laughs) Like that line in Showgirls, I'm erect, 
why aren't you erect? <laughs> <laughs> so titillating. And I also like the touch that Johnny Utah sleeps on black satin sheets. Yeah. Just to add to the uber 90s sexiness of it In all. In what I would think is a place they've set up for him. But that's also interesting. He's called Johnny Utah. So that's a play on Joe Montana. Definitely. He's got to be, right? I don't think it's necessarily oh, it is, owned yeah. up to. Tony Montana and Scarface, Oliver Stone, who wrote it, has acknowledged that that's a play on Joe Montana. Because Montana's a weird name for a Cuban refugee or Cuban person, period. But he was just making reference to him. So Why? that's what this probably is, too. Or maybe even Johnny Unitas, Utah. Why? Why? Well, because think... that was Stone's favorite player, I guess, John Montana, oh, back okay. in that time. And he was a superstar. So John Utah's name is probably a play on that. But if he's going to be an undercover agent, just like Donnie Brasco, which I watched a few weeks ago, again, really good movie. And that was Depp. We talked about how Depp could have been in this. Why isn't his name something else? Now, maybe because you need him to be recognized. That's also a scene that's kind of cheesy, but kind of funny. When Johnny tackles Bodie in the surf in the football game, the brief football we see, mm-hmm. and they all get mad. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure that Bodie's hurt from being tackled into water. Ah, I took it too far, man. As I said to you guys, nobody in the course of that whole game ever did that. Accidentally went a little too far. There's no boundary. It's at the <laughs> fucking beach. But anyway, as soon as Bodie, who seemed to recognize Johnny, this is Johnny Utah, guys. Oh, well, that's cool. Then. Oh, I know that guy. So maybe that's why that's there. That means that that's why they accept him because they feel like, oh, he's cool. He was a football player. I know who that guy is. But shouldn't he have a fake name, especially when he's in the FBI? Well, we talked about this throughout. The way that they play this undercover assignment from start to finish. They they, know nothing of police work. They know nothing (laughs) of police work. It makes no sense. And it's borderline negligent on the part of the Bureau to put an agent in that kind of situation, right? Because like you said, they make no effort to change his name. All indications are that this place that we see him is not a fake apartment that they've gotten for him for his undercover character to live in. That's like just, in Donnie Brasco, where he yeah, clearly has a fake place to live. That appears just to be Johnny Utah's place. Mm-hmm. They don't give him any backstory or anything. And leading up to it, they never talk about the fact that, hey, I can use my own history as a way to like get into the good graces of this group. It was only going to be that you're a young, athletic guy, so it's believable that you might want to learn how to surf. And so go learn how to surf and work your way into these guys' good graces through surfing. You don't need to be a burned-out football star, right? You can just be a guy. Works out in his favor, and they work that into the script later, but it wasn't part of the plan that John yeah, Utah right. had going in. And then later on, of course, once he starts trying to chase down the gang in broad daylight... The best scene in the whole movie. It is a great scene, but he's chasing after them for a long time. His conveniently trick knee. It only goes out on him when it needs to. Although when he... Hang drops, the knee folds over, and that's why he has a scene, we'll get to in a second, the yaw scene, the hot fuzz reference. <laughs> but he's able to do those other things, including tackling Bodie when Bodie's yeah. using the flamethrower thing, the gas is a flamethrower. Well, not just that, but playing football on the beach. Running in sand is tough, man. It's hard on your joints. True, so if you have a bum knee... He was quarterbacking that for the most part, that game that we see, right? But they are tackling, so they he runs the risk of him getting folded over all over again. And not just that, surfing itself, the way you have to pop up on the board yeah, and then a lot of pressure on your knee. stay in a low squat position. Low to... When I think of bum knees, I always think about Stone Cold Steve Austin because he had one bad knee, then he had two bad knees, so he wore knee braces for most of his run as a top yeah. star. You'd see him sometimes do segments where he wasn't actually wrestling, and I'd start realizing, oh, he's not going to do anything physical here if he was just wearing jeans or his Daisy Duke cutoffs without any kind of knee braces. Because if he was going to get physical, even if he was just giving a stunner to somebody, he wore the knee braces. And this is a tough wrestler who didn't want to look anything close to weak. Not that he looked weak, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So if that's the case with somebody with one, and in his case, two bum knees, how is this guy not, as we just said, having his knees go out long before they do? But it is a great sequence, so we shouldn't shit on that because... The reason why he's able to catch up these guys is just dumb coincidence. We talked about the sub scene. Give me two. They happen to be staking out <laughs> the bank, and that's when those guys rob it. The flamethrower thing happens. He tackles Bodie, and then they have the foot chase. 
Catherine Bigelow, who's a good director. Bev and I have covered her on Hurt Locker, which we did last year in the Oscar season, so basically a full year ago. And we did Zero Dark Thirty a couple of years ago. I think that was probably 2017. Okay. And those two movies were acclaimed. She won Oscars for Hurt Locker. The only woman ever win, Best Director. And she won a producing Oscar. But she's an established name. At this point, she'd made a movie with Bill Paxton. I mentioned him already. Mm-hmm. Lance Henriksen and some other people. Near Dark, a vampire movie. And I believe she also did Blue Steel before this. But she really proved her action chops in this one sequence alone. They're using yeah. the pogo cam. I was reading about that. It's a camera that allowed, I guess, to have the cameraman be in the place of either Swayze or Reeves. And, of course, Swayze doesn't need to be in the scene at all because you never see his mask come off. Right. Surely he wasn't in any of it or very much of it. Why did he need to be? Even the sequence at the very end, the ah, bang, 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 bang in the air scene. Maybe you want Swayze's eyes for the close-up through the mask, but otherwise you don't need it to be Swayze at all. But anyway, they have this great camera thing, the dog sequence. It's so vivid, running through people's houses getting hit by cars. <laughs> Although you mentioned earlier about taking people's lives in danger by shooting through a crowd. Well, in that sequence, both Pappas and Utah are shooting where there's other people around, especially, oh, yes. I think it's Johnny, right off the bat, when they first, freeze, police! And there's other people around. They probably shouldn't be shooting randomly like that. Oh, no, they definitely should not be. It's a great sequence, but it starts as a car chase, though, right? Which was kind of fun, too, mm-hmm. because you get these... Now, this movie is a 91 movie, probably filmed in 1990, but the cars are all vintage, mid to late 80s boxes of cars, right? And mm-hmm. so seeing car chases with these things always brings a smile to my face because there's nothing more jarring than seeing this brick of a car chase another brick of a car. And of course, Pappas crashes the car, so that Johnny takes off on foot, and that's when he catches them at the gas station after the flamethrower thing and all that. And most of the guys steal a car from somebody else at the gas station. And they get away. And they get away. Mm -hmm. But Pappas runs up. He has enough time to sort of position himself behind the car, Mm -hmm. yell, freeze again, and then he just shoots out the back windshield. Mm -hmm. In his position, wouldn't it be smarter just to shoot out one or both of the rear tires? Mm -hmm. They aren't moving at that point. I assume he's a good enough shot to hit a bloody tire from like six feet away. And then that way, they aren't going to go very far, very fast anyway, right? Because right. you might be able to get a short distance, but eventually you'll shred the axle. But he doesn't, of course, and they get away. And then you've got the foot chase. But a few things always come to mind when we watch that, right? One of the things we talked about was as they're hopping fences, they're going through backyards. At one point, they bust through a house. They run from back to front of a house, and some poor woman who's just doing her laundry gets pushed out of the way. And if you're that woman... What do you have to live with <laughs> yeah. psychologically thereafter? Because you've just had Ronald Reagan kick in your back door, <laughs> push you aside, and run out the front door. Another and, metaphor. Yeah, and then you don't know what the hell just happened, but two weird guys, including the guy dressed as Ronald Reagan, just busted through your house. The other guy can stay if he wants. I've got time. He's pretty hot. I don't know how hard his nipples are He's right MTV. now, but we can find out. <laughs> He's MTV's most desirable male. Yeah. Bodie throws a dog at Johnny Utah. I love that he keeps a pit bull... <laughs> contain long enough not snapping at him to have time to throw <laughs> at Johnny and Johnny just catches it nonchalantly and then drop kicks it out of the yep. way and keeps going I don't think that the PETA people would have loved that too much well thankfully they Although, had the disclaimer at the end I watched they... it closely because I was reading about all that and the trivia before we even watched the movie Yeah. yes there is a dog there but what Keanu Reeves kicks is not a dog it's a stuffed it's, animal yeah. or something yeah he blows out his knee chasing Bodie. Bodie jumps up at the fence and takes, <laughs> for some reason, takes enough time to stop at the top of the fence, turn around and stare at Johnny while Johnny's pointing a gun at him. I think because he knows he's dead to rights. So either he shoots him and is going to hit him, or he doesn't shoot him at all. And that leads to the scene that Hot Fuzz, and I watched this again a few days ago on YouTube. Have you ever put your gun in the air and said, ah? No, I've never put my gun in the air and said, ah. <laughs> and even though it plays us so well in this, where you can see why this guy who's clearly in love with his buddy 
actually he doesn't know necessarily that he wouldn't at know that point Bodhi. he doesn't know he thinks it's just one of his he friends thinks it's one of the four guys right but he doesn't know who it is necessarily. that's a good point too okay well, he's in love with all of them i guess you'd argue but for such an expert sharpshooter who scored 100 percent on his mm. quantico final exam you would think he would at least try to shoot the guy in like the calf the knee the ass but he wants him to get away that's why he does it. He does hold his gun on him for a little while before he decides to do like they do in Hot Fuzz. And Hot Fuzz, it makes even more sense because when Nick Frost has that payoff at the end, it's his dad that's running away. That How do you shoot a, your own dad? That's a great So homage. A is funny, but it actually makes a lot of sense in a Hot Fuzz. And we've talked in other movies about sequences that have been ruined. Like the slow clap, for instance, in Rudy. Oh, yeah. Neither one of us like it now, but I'm sure at the time I did like it. But it's been so ruined by both homage and parody, it just doesn't play anymore. That homage and hot fuzz, the scream and the shooting at the sky stuff, it still plays. And now granted, it's not like a repetitive thing. It's only one movie that I can think of that just did it so literally. But it doesn't ruin the moment in Point Break either. The Point Break scene, as silly as it is... It's a little more funny because I picture it's hot funny. fuzz. funny. I don't think it ever would have been a serious moment. I can't imagine even in 1991 you're watching this movie and like a tear rolls down your eye for Johnny Utah. I think it always comes off a little over the top and silly. Hot fuzz does it so perfectly that it still holds up. I guess it's supposed to be the argument in Point Break. He's chased him the whole time. Wasn't he trying to bring him down? Yeah, but you could argue that Johnny was trying to catch him, not kill him. So when his knee folds, and now, and again, he doesn't know which one of the four that actually is. We know it's Bodie. But while the guy's running away, well, now I can't capture him, but I got to do my job, and it's my instinct, but I don't want to shoot my friend. And again, he's in love with the one that he knows under the mask. So yeah. it's a scene that's been referenced as a silly one and all that. But I think it also, for the most part, makes sense. But it's also one of the many reasons why he can't keep being an FBI guy when this case is over. In fact, he throws his badge away, just like in High Noon yeah. and the Dirty Harry throws the badge away. He's not coming back, and but neither I, am I. That's probably to everyone's best interest. If we learn anything, it's that Johnny Utah is a bad FBI he agent. one case. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, I think he could be an expert cook. Yeah. Because he can do such random things. Law school. Football. No. He's become an okay surfer. He's great at skydiving trying it once. No, those are not twice without a parachute now the second time. Yeah. Those are not random things, Ryan. Maybe he'll be a mechanic. If we learned anything from this movie, it's that you can get a football scholarship to law school in the States, apparently. He'll take up woodworking. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Which made no sense. Also. He'll be an expert guitarist. I'm looking at things around our basement here. He'll learn how to make televisions. Expert he'll be great at everything. You are a Halloween aficionado. I know indeed. This. You love a good full coverage rubber Halloween mask when you hand out candy and stuff. Would you be able to run as far as hard as Patrick Swayze no. does? Mask notwithstanding, no. Okay, <laughs> assuming you were in the same peak physical okay. condition as Patrick Swayze, just knowing how hot those things get yeah. and how poorly they breathe. And the bad visibility. And the bad visibility. He runs hard, he's vaulting over stuff, he's doing acrobatic jumps up fences. And that mask just stayed perfectly in place for him to turn and stare down Johnny for a good 20 True. seconds with those baby blues peering right well, through the eyes. Well, you basically asked me the question, yeah, when I've worn my Halloween mask, I've had the same one for the last three years, or maybe yeah. even longer. But yeah, when you're wearing that kind of thing, if you turn in such a way it maybe catches your jacket or catches your shoulder, whatever, it will go a little bit askew just from doing that. And that's not action-oriented. I just turned, oh, what's up, Bev? And then, oh, my mask up to fix it again. So yes, to answer your question... It is that easy to screw one of those masks up. Now, it's not like he taped it down to his neck or anything, either. <laughs> yeah, that's the behind-the-scenes footage you don't see is Patrick Swayze's character just duct-taping that thing around his <laughs> neck to keep it in place. I tied it too tight. Now I'm going to strangle myself. Okay, let's talk about the actual love interest because the movie may be homoerotic, but there's supposed to be a love interest, and Laura Petty's fine. The very next year, she'd go on to be in another athletic movie, an actual sports movie, A League of Their Own, yeah. and she's pretty good as a pitcher in that movie. 
the characters here for window dressing just so you can make sure that Mostly, Johnny yeah. is hetero. But then he also has motivation because that's why he does what he does towards the end. He goes, save Tyler! And presumably he's still with her in the next, whatever it's been, six months after when he finally tracks Bodie down in Australia. But we don't see her again after the desert sequence when they land. And of course, that's a nutso sequence because he dives out of a plane without a parachute on. He's just that dedicated. But it's not just about getting his man, as Bodie says to him, oh, Johnny gets his man. It is about the fact that his girlfriend is going to be killed if he doesn't make sure that Bodie tells Rosie to let her go. So I can understand that. Apparently Mythbusters is a thing where they proved that you could actually streamline like the character does mm -hmm. and catch up to him. But they pointed out the rest of it's kind of silly. It's like the whole thing in Jaws where the propane tank blows up towards the end. They proved that it would not do what it does. But it is, again, a great action sequence. And I don't know how much of it Keanu did, but obviously we know at the very beginning that <laughs> Swayze did. none of it. Because Swayze does the audio amigo and then jumps out of the plane. Tyler's character, you're right, is probably mostly window dressing. The motivating factor that, okay, she's been taken hostage and he needs to rescue her. Fair enough. But if they really wanted to, they could have had that be basically any character that Johnny knew. It could have been his partner, rather, Gary Busey's character. Sure. Maybe it's an attempt to say, hey, look, Johnny's a real man's man. He's got a real girl as a girlfriend. One of my favorite moments of the movie, though, is when she finds... His badge. Yes, I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to place the sequence of this. Yeah, it was immediately after the foot chase with the failed attempt to bring in the ex-presidents because Johnny's knee is injured at that point. He's got cuts in his face. He's got cuts in his face, so he tries to get out of bed to catch Tyler. His knee gives out, and she gets out of the house. So, yeah, she confronts him when he's still asleep in bed, doesn't bother to button up the shirt. She just mm. loosely got one of his shirts floating about her body, which was a real nice touch. Mm -hmm. But I don't recall we see any nudity with her, do we? No, it's just the blonde in the shower. Just the blonde, yeah. There's but, a lot of swearing in this movie, so it's a hard R, and a lot of violence, of course, makes it a hard R, too. But nudity, they don't take advantage of that. Maybe Lori Petty had a no-nudity clause. Well, maybe, but as you pointed this out at one point, one of the early scenes, the first time, in fact, that Johnny Utah's character sees Tyler's character before he actually meets her, I yeah. think. Or maybe it's immediately after she rescues him, but he's creepily... We have no her. movie if she didn't rescue him, by the way, because he was going to drown. That would have been a great ending to the movie. Yeah. He just tries surfing once, immediately drowns. It, it becomes a short subject movie <laughs> yeah. at the Oscars or something. 15 minutes. But she's finished surfing. She's going to work and she's changing at her car just by covering various parts of her body with a towel and swapping out clothes. Mm -hmm. And as you said, you don't see a thing... Mm -hmm. But it's like the titillation factor. It's very sexy. Kind and of like, kudos on Lori Petty for making that. Maybe they did yeah. 20 takes, but I love the way that she makes that work. Obviously, people do yeah. that kind of stuff in reality. Swimmers. I've, I've done it as well at the beach at times. But you only have one thing to worry about. That's the lower half. It's true, and I don't make it look nearly as good when I do mm. it. It's much more awkward, right? You do have a bum knee. Much more awkward. I do have a bum knee. Later on, of course, Johnny eventually does manage to talk Tyler into teaching him how to surf, and he does it with a quasi-fake story about his background. He's honest about his failed sports career or does he even tell her maybe he doesn't maybe he just goes straight to law school at that point he talks about his parents being dead which they're not because hers are and he wants to try to get in with her it's just a, sympathy such a weird thing though you meet a girl for the first time and you want her to teach you how to surf slash get into her good graces and the way you do that is by saying hey my parents also died tragically i want to hang out eh? <laughs> Are you turned on yet? Yeah, it was Can you score at this movie, so, Lori Petty? Obviously, Johnny doesn't have a lot of moves. He doesn't have a lot of charisma as a character, if that's his only He is dumb, but he's also full of cum. He is full of cum, and probably less so after Tyler becomes his girlfriend, yep. from everything we see in the movie, anyway. Sleeping on a L.A. beach. It is the summer. Presumably naked. That'd be so cold. It's been a little chilly. I didn't have a towel that I could see. Gritty. I guess they had their towel towels, but not a blanket. Yeah. 
later on, she finds his badge. I don't know why she's snooping around. Where does he keep his badge? When she's there at his place after they've just spent the night doing whatever they're doing. He wouldn't need to hide his badge because he wouldn't necessarily think anyone's ever going to be in his place to look for it. But she's in his place, right? She just spent the night. Maybe for the first time. Maybe he just didn't think of that. That's the second time we see them asleep okay, in but, his bed. Okay, but she hasn't been there that many times, so you could argue that he just thinks it's put away. I but, don't know. You probably have something in your place. Do you hide your wallet if you have somebody come over kind of thing? I've done that before. We've had big I mean, groups of people come over. I put my wallet just in a drawer. If anyone goes snooping, they're going to find it, but it's not out in the open. Yeah, okay, granted, but... A, I hide all of the incriminating evidence that I don't want you guys to find. I don't want you to pierce my deep cover. Any documents... Your arsenal is hidden? Yeah, my arsenal's (laughs) hidden. All the documents that speak to my true identity are hidden. Don't don't worry about that. Okay. What basis does Tyler have to go snooping at all through his place? Because the story told him it had to go that way. <laughs> it's the Hitchcock answer. I've said to Bev a hundred thousand times. Why is she snooping through his house? I don't know. Like, like, <laughs> if she doesn't, thing. there'd be no movie. Exactly. Okay, so fair enough. She finds the badge and he wakes him up by shooting the... Yeah. <laughs> good thing she's a good shot. What if he flinched? What if he flinched? What if he rolled over at the wrong mm-hmm. moment? The way she accuses him is by showing him the badge and saying... Did your parents even die? Yeah. And his response is, they live in Columbus, Ohio or something. And she's like, oh my God, your parents are alive? <laughs> this is the worst. You're an animal. Oh, okay. I've never seen somebody so distraught to find out that their romantic partner's parents are actually alive. You can feel that distraught knowing you have to go visit those parents. But knowing they're alive is typically not that big a deal. It's usually a plus, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe a wash. Well, Bigelow and everyone takes the movie pretty seriously, and yeah. it has been mocked by lots of people, including us right now. But it would not take much to have made this movie a full-on parody and a, just an absolutely absurd, stupid thing. And that's a great example of that, that one scene. I just noticed this. Is this a character in the movie named Passion for Slashin'? Yeah. I don't know who that is either. Psycho Stick, Surf Rat, and Fiberglass. Julie, somebody named Julie. Oh, Julie Michaels, this blonde woman. Is she the naked blonde in the shower? Is that Might who that be. Is? We'd recognize her face. <laughs> but her character's name oh. is freight train she is beautiful whoever she is oh she's also in roadhouse maybe swayze got her to roll but if she's in that scene in the drug dealer's place then they don't even share a scene together swayze and her this movie has some of the greatest character names ever passion for slashing freight train we haven't even talked about anthony kiedis's character in this movie oh, we talked about them they're the ones are in the drug house his character is appropriately named tone mm-hmm. well he and Warchild, their whole group also looks like bunker chris peterson's part of that Chris Pearson was in Platoon, which Keanu Reeves could have been in, incidentally, as well. Right. A lot of links to other movies we're talking about here. Do they attack him and want to, well, they say we're going to fuck you up just because he's a bad surfer? Yeah, he cut in the lane, but obviously he's not very good yet. I don't know. You punched him once. Isn't that enough? You're going to kill him or hurt yeah. him badly? So Again, an excuse for an action scene. And also for Bodie and Johnny to connect. I do like when Angelo comes to try to save Johnny, thinking, oh, i got to back on my partner. But as soon as he realizes, oh, he's okay quickly thinks of a lie and says, oh, did you see my, whatever, dog or my that, son? That was kid stole the radio or something. Yeah, and right. Just that was really smart. I like that. That was a good bit of improv. I don't know if he meant to cut off one of the other surfers. I just think about skiing. For years I skied. And if you are down the hill, somebody is above you on the hill, they are responsible for making sure that everything is safe, right? You can't see them. You have no ability to know where they are. They have to make sure they don't hit you. In this scene, Johnny is in front of the other surfer. So Johnny can't see behind himself. He can't see the other surfer coming. That other surfer, and I can't remember if it was Warchild specifically. I think it was Bunker. Chris Peterson, the guy in Platoon. So Bunker can see Johnny. Johnny can't see Bunker. And then Bunker gets pissed off because Johnny's in his way 
That makes no sense, man. Just turn. But the rules of skiing, you're saying, it's on him. It's on Bunker because Bunker... Not on Johnny. Yeah, Bunker's the one that can see Johnny. Why is Bunker getting pissed off? Being... So you're saying this movie knows nothing of surfing also? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know nothing. Although the day for night stuff they do when they supposedly surf at night, relatively convincing. Bev and I covered a lot of movies in the 50s where the day for night was just terrible. I guess considering yeah. the technology they had, it was fine. But watching it in when we did in 2013, 2014, whatever that was... It does not look good at all. The day for night in this is pretty convincing. Just like the cinematography, I think you said this already, is pretty damn good throughout. A lot of what looked to be magic hour shots, a lot of low sun. Yeah. They might have shot at dawn, but more likely they shot at magic hour. And when they shoot at night, it wasn't actually a night. Bev was actually questioning, wasn't that really a night? And I said, you would never see yeah, that it, deep it, in it the background no. with the water. If they lit up the wave where they were, okay, maybe, but you're not going to see so far in the background. It was pretty well done. Now, one of my favorite tidbits of this is... After Bunker gets pissed off at Johnny, Johnny's up showering off or whatever, and the group confronts him and says, oh, this is where you tell me to stay off your beach, and Anthony Kiedis says, nah, that would be a waste of time. Then they proceed to try to beat the shit out of him. Apparently those guys went through some extensive fight training. The director, Bigelow, wanted them to do the scenes themselves, and she wanted it to look accurate and correct. Mm. Except Kiedis didn't show up for the training. So in that fight sequence, his character gets laid out in one punch. Oh, that's why. Okay. Because, because he wasn't there. So he didn't get the choreography down. And so all the other guys fight it out for like another two or three minutes with Bodie and Johnny. But Tone is just laid out immediately oh, with fair. one punch. We know Bodie from Roadhouse, the same actor at least, could rip somebody's throat out if he really wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Plus the surfboard is a pretty good weapon to use. You know, bash somebody in the face or the chest with it. I found it interesting that apparently these guys surf with knives in their pockets. He cuts the rope so then Johnny doesn't have it attached to his leg, so I guess he's got to stop surfing. Yeah. yeah. Seems very petty. Okay, what about the ending? I guess we've covered it already. I think this is a great example, just like in Top Gun, which Bev and I might cover later this year, leading into Top Gun Maverick coming out. Great example of kiss, kiss, kiss. They really should, shouldn't they? They really should. It seems like the culmination of the faded tragic romance mm -hmm. because not only is there's a love that cannot be in 1991 but it is also Bodhi's time but it doesn't happen obviously and Bodhi goes to meet his fate Johnny gets yelled at by the Australian authorities you freaking moron you let him go he's not coming back if you were to rewind the movie to the point where Johnny starts going off the rails after he's arrested because he's forced to take part in that ill-fated robbery attempt the last as an one, FBI agent he gets arrested, and then, of course, Pappas lets him go because they're good partners, and then gets annihilated at the airfield. If Johnny had spent two seconds thinking, he had every reason to believe that Bodhi would have been good to his word, and if he got away, he would have told Rosie to let Tyler go. They had no reason to believe that he had any ill will against Tyler. He's always professed to be a guy that just wanted to be left alone and to do his thing. And at the end, he does let Tyler go. And he does. So Johnny has no reason to believe otherwise, although you can sympathize with somebody who you care about being held hostage. But if he stopped to think, you don't have to trail Bodie through Fiji and Mexico and all these places that he said he's been tailing him for six months because you just show up at the beach that Bodie talked about throughout the movie. And I'm going to be there for the 50-year storm in six months' time at Bell's Beach. That's where I'm going to be, Johnny. Just wait. Show up at the beach, as he does, arrest the guy, but instead he spends months just tailing this guy. Well, you could home. argue that he's got to be doing his job. I can't just say, well, I think I know where he's going to be. And also you could say, although he obviously does remember this, you could make the argument, though, that he doesn't remember that that was said, but then, of course, he does. But this, he's conveniently <laughs> he, he brilliant remember, at things, but and he's he conveniently does. stupid at things, just like his knee is conveniently good and conveniently bad. Okay, how was your banana uh, bread beer? Well, it tasted like banana. I think I'll, uh, I'll say that much and leave it at okay. that. My beverage is gone. There's one little sip left. 
So I said eight out of ten. You seem to agree with that. But yeah, I like it. Two hundred and twelve out of ten, really, on the cheese scale. And this movie definitely is good for scoring some hetero, but way more homosexual situations. Hey, man, it's all good. Which is true of next week's movie because we're doing a theme. Last year we did baseball movies in February. This year it's going to be cops falling madly in love with the criminal theme. That's right. And also because the Fast and the Furious was on demand, crave <laughs> up here in Canada. So wow. when I saw it, I thought, well, we do a theme. So we will do the Fast and the Furious, which I haven't seen since I saw the theater in 2001. I've seen the sequels. I've never seen any of these movies twice, but I've seen all of them at least once. So this will be oh. fresh me all over again. But Paul Walker, not as good an actor as even Keanu was in his best days. So that'll be in two weeks. If there are ever two guys that should know a thing or two about street racing, Ryan, it's us as proud owners. Cars that will barely go 80 <laughs> kilometers an hour. And Kia Forte. Yeah. Go faster, Dad. I can't. It's a Geo. <laughs> and we're also just like with Point Break, although that was actually more of a sports movie, as we just said. Fast and the Furious is a little bit spurious. Because it isn't a Talladega Nights, Days of Thunder, organized race, but whatever. It's not going to be the first time we're going to shoehorn a movie into a sports category. Now, we didn't talk about the depiction of sport in this movie. I thought we did. We touched on it. I thought it was fine. It certainly was shot well. Swayze's a great athlete. Keanu is good enough. I noticed he doesn't look like he's actually skydiving this time, but I don't think I ever noticed that before. I think Bigelow's a really good shooter. She's a hell of a good director. I think so, too. The football on the beach is brief. It's fine. It's whatever. Okay, I am at MovieFiend51 on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, and the website remains TopNutterProject.com. Via con Dios. Take her easy, dudes. I know that you will, bruh. Bruh. <laughs>